Thank you for joining us on another episode of Florida Foodie. I'm your host, Lisa Bell. Today, we have a conversation with a man who has helped feed millions of people all around the world. Dave Green grew up experiencing poverty and hunger. It pushed him toward a career in business, but he gave that all up and took a hike, literally. That months-long trek taught him that he wanted to devote his life to serving others and tackling big problems. Since then, he's spent years helping the needy, and now he's getting ready for a new business venture, giving people the tools to tackle food waste. Green tells us all about his journey and where he is heading. Hello and welcome back to Florida Foodie. I'm your host, Lisa Bell, along with our producer, Thomas Mates. Hello. Food insecurity and food waste are two huge issues we face here in America and around the world. And today we are joined by a man who is working on solutions to both of those problems. Dave Green is the current CEO of Feeding Children Everywhere, and he will soon be leaving that position to start a new company aimed at reducing food waste. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. You have such an interesting story. Uh, You've been doing this for several years now. Born in Gainesville or raised in Gainesville and then eventually made your way to Central Florida. How do you even get started in something like this? Yeah, so uh, for me, it actually, you know, I I spent the early part of my career in technology and finance and uh, had really had my own journey with hunger and poverty as a child. And so, so much of my professional career in my early 20s was just about kind of escaping poverty, right? And so one day I got to my late 20s and I was like, man, there's got to be more to life than this, right? So I quit my job, gave away everything I owned, and in 2008, hiked the Pacific Crest Trail from Mexico to Canada. And so, uh, adventure of a lifetime took me about six months. It was absolutely incredible, but I learned something about myself while I was out there that if I was ever really going to feel content or fulfilled with my life, that my life needed to become about serving others. And whether that was in for-profit, non-profit government, whatever it may be, for me, it was really more about like a heart change that needed to happen, right? That it was my perspective of how I approached the world and uh, my part and what I was supposed to do. And I realized that serving others was going to be the thing that was going to matter the most to me. And uh, eventually that's what led me to feeding children everywhere. So that was 2008. You were in your late 20s. Were you married? Do you have kids? I mean, how does someone just do that? Yeah, so um, I actually had just met my wife. Okay. So we, we had just met right before I left. And, you know, imagine, you know, you're, you're dating somebody new and you're dating for a couple of weeks and mm-hmm. they, they come in one day and they're like, hey, by the way, I'm going to go hike across America, right? After so she, ditching my job. Yeah, yes. right. Exactly. In technology, which right. is probably a really good job. Right. Yeah. yeah. So she, she looked at me and she was like, well, hey, good for you, but I'm not going, right? And so, um, but, you know, it was really cool. She was very supportive of the process while I was out there hiking. And she came out and met me a couple of times. And when I finished, we got married. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so that in and of itself is fascinating. Do you work along the way? Do you save up your money to do that? How do you eat? How do you live for six months? Yeah. So uh, I had saved up a little bit of money, but, you know, thinking back to 2008, right. And what was Mm -hmm. going on in the world at the time, uh, I had some money in the stock market, which turns out didn't do really great in 2008. (laughs) And, um, you know, I'm out there and just imagine, you know, you're in the wilderness for a couple of weeks and you uh, get out of the wilderness, you hit 
hitchhike down to like a, a you know a little country town and there's a gas station and you walk up and you know it talks about like the world's largest banks on the brink of collapse and so you're kind of wondering like what happened in the last two weeks right but um, ultimately you know use a little bit of savings and then actually there's a couple of strange opportunities to work like odd jobs along the way uh, there's a place uh, called the Nature's Inn in Big Bear California where I was a little bit early in the season and there was too much snow in the Sierras and so ended up working there for like 10 days at this like nature's Inn motel and big mm-hmm. bear and earned a little bit of extra money while i was there but um yeah it was it was definitely an adventure and you were telling me uh, before we got on air was that this was even just your first time hiking and it was really the kindness of strangers that helped you out along the way yeah yeah, yeah i had no idea what i was doing and and like most things you know I'm, I'm somewhat entrepreneurial right so i just dive right in and uh once i realized like it was something i was supposed to go do um you know go hiking spend that time out there and just r- really do a little bit of soul searching right and figure out you know what i was going to do with my life from there and um yeah it was definitely it was it was a heck of an adventure and um you know living one day at a time every day you know it was kind of a different adventure and uh, it was mm-hmm. pretty exciting yeah did you keep yeah. a journal during that time to kind of go through all of your thoughts and everything that was happening i did yeah i journaled some uh i blogged some and uh definitely like kind of keeping track of that was was a lot of fun that was a big part of it and actually i met someone uh right before i left and she was writing a book about you know strange people in orlando right and i think i qualified <laughs> for that and so um basically uh she had interviewed me right before i left and was like okay i want to document like your perspective of what you think this is going to be like right and then when you get back i'll interview you again and mm-hmm. so uh, we had the opportunity to do that and it was really interesting to kind of capture that of what my thoughts were about the journey before i left and then what my thoughts were when I got back and kind of compare the two and she put it in a book and so uh, pretty exciting to be able to do that but um, definitely it was definitely perspective shaping to go on an adventure like that. What surprised you the most about your two perspectives before and after? I think just the clarity after right was probably the big thing of you know there were so many things on the front end I think I was a little more like wild-eyed about it Mm -hmm. right and you know adventurous feeling and I think on the on the other side of it it was just um, I think there was a lot more wisdom in it right Mm -hmm. of just having gone on the adventure and you you expect things about your future then you experience it and then you know a lot more about you know kind of the reality of things right and uh, that was probably the biggest thing for me you just went out there with no transportation plans no housing plans, shelter plans, and you just were going to do it. Yeah. And you, you know, and you sleep outside pretty much every day, right? So you, uh, you're some nights you're cowboy camping, just, you know, laying on the ground under the stars. Other nights you'd set up kind of a little basic tent. Um, but you know, it was absolutely incredible. I had uh, a coyote wake me up one night while I was asleep, sniffing my ear. Right? Oh. Definitely gets your adrenaline going. At, like, so it wasn't midnight, just like right? a coyote, like howling. It was sniffing my ear. Yeah, yes. like, yeah, that was definitely pretty exciting. And, yeah. and how, so along that journey, how do you eat? So um, everybody who hikes, like eventually you get a trail name, right? And kind of the thing is you can't pick your own trail name. Your trail name has to sort of pick you. It's one of those sort of fun things. But Kobo um, code. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. My trail name became Forager because as I didn't have any idea what I was doing before I went to go out there, I very naively thought like, well, I'll just forage for food along the way. I'll study plants. I bought this really great book of edible plants in the you know Western United States. And I'm like, I'll just eat plants along the way 
maybe like super healthy. And uh, <laughs> I did that. I did that for the first couple of weeks. And uh, and then strangely, you were hungry. Yeah, strangely, I lost a lot of weight. Right? Yeah. And so after a couple of weeks, I, I shifted gears and um, started to kind of stock up. Then I went the other direction, which was, you know, then you, you eat like a bear. So you try to get as many calories for the least amount of weight possible. So, you know, um, don't try this at home, but definitely lots of candy bars and pop tarts and mm-hmm. you name it. Dumpster diving. Mm-hmm. No, no. Yeah. You didn't have time for that because you're in the wilderness basically. Right. Okay. So you would, you would go into uh, a small town and you would literally just buy as much food as you could put in your backpack. It was mm-hmm. like shelf stable food for the most part, super lightweight, high calorie stuff. And then mm-hmm. you'd head back out and hit the trail the next morning. But, um, you know, it wasn't the healthiest food I've mm-hmm. ever eaten, but, uh, when you're, you know, when you're hiking 30 miles a day up and down mountains, mm-hmm. uh, you're in pretty incredible shape. So you can't really tell that you're, you're eating that way. But so, um, so you said you, you experienced food insecurity and, and some poverty growing up, and then you fought against that for, for your early career, and then kind of dove headlong back into it yeah. again by choice yeah. for fun. Um, yeah. how, how, I mean, did, was that more of like, did that remind you of, of things you'd experienced previously? Was it was it getting back to your roots in some way, or, or was it just you know just for the experience of it all? I, I think I think I had to experience my fears, right, mm-hmm. like to get set free from them in a way, right. And so I was so afraid of you know kind of going back to poverty and going back mm-hmm. to sort of the way that things were when I was a child, and um, you know, and then like you said, choosing to literally mm-hmm. be homeless for six months and hike through the wilderness and pretty much get to where you have no money and uh, and the kindness of strangers held me out along the way, um, you know, that was a big deal of facing my fears, right? And Mm -hmm. realizing, you know, when you wake up in the morning, like everything's still great, like everything's Mm -hmm. still okay. And, you know, it didn't hurt to be looking out at the Sierras or, you know, Yosemite Valley or something when you're waking up and feeling that way. But Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, like it was definitely a lot of growth for me of just realizing that, you know, those fears that kind of like, I don't know, I feel like they hold all of us back in some way at different times in our lives. And I still have to be careful even now, like, um, you know, there's different times where I'll, I'll kind of let that voice of fear sort of slow me down with mm-hmm. pursuing my dreams in life. And, you know, I just have to put that in perspective and realize that, you know, you just have to keep facing those challenges and keep moving forward. And yeah. Which is what's so interesting coming from your background where you were working in technology and probably doing pretty well to then go through that experience and be compelled to go into nonprofit work where the money's not great. There's probably not a ton of job stability like you might have in the private sector. So, I mean, to me, that would be facing your fears head on once again. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was really for me, the perspective of going on the trail, I had this really good job and imagine, you know, your friend comes to you and says like, yeah, I'm going to quit this job and I'm going to go backpack across America, Mm -hmm. right. For six months. A lot of people I knew, including my mom were like, are you crazy? You lost your mind. What are you doing? Right. Like, it's a really good job. Why would you leave? And, um, you know, what ended up happening, though, is the company that I was working for at the time, they actually went out of business uh, while all the collapse was happening. Right. Mm -hmm. They were one of the companies that were kind of swallowed up in all the collapse in 2008. And so when I got back from hiking, like literally, you know, it was like from the time that I kind of resigned, it was about eight months start to finish. And that company didn't even exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. And so um, it taught me some perspective, too, about, you know, there's sometimes there's this illusion of security. Right. And. you know, really the only real security is in like what we're doing today. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, for me, I think that prepared me, you know, mentally 
for the nonprofit world because you're right. I mean, it's you're you're dependent on donors and kindness, and you know, still relying on the kindness of others to be able to help fund the mission of a nonprofit organization, and that's not always consistent. Uh, so you have to keep you know fighting hard for the mission of the organization every day. But I think that perspective helped me for this journey. And then what was your first step on the journey of like devoting yourself towards service? Um, you know, really, uh, getting doors closed in my face. Right. So I, I started, uh, I started just reaching out to a bunch of nonprofits, like, Hey, I want to change the world. Right. Like, let's do this. And they were like, Oh, that's cute. You know, like, and, and you can volunteer or something. Okay. And so, um, you know, really that was the part for me of realizing that probably I had more to learn first. Right. Um, it's great to start from the spot of like wanting to do good in the world. Uh, but I think I needed to learn a lot more. And so it took me a while to kind of get ready. And then I volunteered a ton. Right. And um, volunteering a lot. I think like that's probably where I did learn the most about the nonprofit world and how this works and the needs and the causes that maybe probably I was the most passionate about. And um, really, that's what led me to feeding children everywhere is that, you know, as a child, like being in a family that was turned down for food assistance because my dad was an entrepreneur. He uh, he started his own mechanic shop uh, whenever I was a a young child and he couldn't prove what his income was going to be. And so um, although he didn't have food to feed his family, uh, back in that, you know, in those days, it was everything was paper trail, right? It wasn't mm-hmm. really uh, digital. And so um, literally he got told no, that he couldn't get help with food. And so, you know, that was a challenge that my family faced from a young age and that stayed with me. And uh, that's a cause that I'm still, you know, very passionate about today. So I was going to ask you about that because that is something that I feel like I see covering uh, food insecurity. I think that if you aren't volunteering or in it and seeing the people who are coming in need of help, uh, you don't realize exactly how big the need is and yeah. who these people are. And many of them are working families. Right. Yeah. That's, that's probably the thing I've learned the most uh, at feeding children everywhere. As far as hunger here in the United States goes is, um, you know, I, I think again, I probably just naively thought that hunger looked a certain way in, in the United States, but because of the cost of living, what I've realized, mm-hmm. especially in communities like central Florida, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we have such an issue with having enough housing that is at an affordable range, right? From a rent standpoint, even and uh, relative to wages, right? And mm-hmm. that's actually the issue that we've seen play out at Feeding Children Everywhere. The more that we have done surveys and sat in people's living rooms and interviewed them, the people that we serve all across the United States, we find that it's, you know, housing affordability, it's healthcare expenses, education costs, and then of course, food prices have mm-hmm. spiked tremendously over the last 50 years. Even over the last 15 years, they've had a huge increase. Uh, at the same time, household wages have gone up like 4.9% over that same period of time. And so if all of your primary expenses for a, a basic standard of living, you know, are climbing at an exponential rate and your wages are relatively flat over a time horizon, like it's only going to get worse. Right. And that's, that's who's hungry in America today mm-hmm. is the average person really. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, you volunteered a lot, but you also had uh, an entrepreneurial background. How did you get that? Did you go to college to be, to get some business degree? What's, what's that background for you? Um, yeah, I think I, I think I had my first product that I sold when I was like in kindergarten, right? But, <laughs> um, you know, I think it, it was just wired in me, right? Uh-huh. That, um, I just, from the time I was really little, I wanted to be in business. And, um, you know, I, I think that it's really cool to see how even the business world has evolved over the last, you know, 
40 years, right? Uh, and, and from the standpoint that now, you know, before you were either a nonprofit or you're a for-profit, and those had completely different types of missions, right? But uh, today with the advent of the social enterprise, right, where you can have a for-profit company that's very mission-oriented as mm-hmm. far as making an impact in the world. And so that's really what's driven me kind of in the direction I'm in now is uh, just this realization that you can, you know, you can have a for-profit company, but really make a lot of great impact in the mm-hmm. world at the same time. That was actually something that came out of the 2008 collapse, wasn't it? The the advent of these like socially conscious for-profit organizations. Wasn't yeah. that, a, a, I believe, an initiative of the Obama administration, correct? Yeah, and, um, you know, I, I think that really in general sort of just you know, a little bit of an awareness of, you know what, hey, when we have really unhealthy business practices, we can cause a serious amount of damage in the world. And I think, uh, especially the millennials, right? I think the millennials were really responsible for the most part of the rapid growth of the social enterprise because not only have millennials created a lot of really cool uh, social impact organizations, but they also, with their money as consumers, uh, they spend their money with companies that have much more uh, Mm -hmm. of an awareness of their social impact. And so, um, you know, that's been a really cool transition that I think we've all gotten to witness over the last, yeah, 10 years or so uh, that I think will, you know, it'll help our business community in general. I think it's put pressure on any company that doesn't really focus on their social impact. Mm -hmm. It's kind of put pressure on them to pay more attention. So feeding children everywhere, you accomplish some amazing things, millions of meals in the United States and beyond, uh, touching millions of families. What are you most proud of there? Um, I would say uh, the number of volunteers that we've worked with, right? So over the last, like just the last four years, um, I don't know, it's probably been like half a million volunteers or something like that around the country, even really globally that we've worked with. And uh, the volunteers that I have the chance to work with, I mean, they're some of the greatest Mm -hmm. people on the planet, right? Where I'm so humbled when I get around them. And, um, you know, there's people like I think back to when we did the big project for uh, Hurricane Maria relief, right? where we packaged 4.4 million hurricane relief boxes Mm -hmm. for Maria at the convention center here in central Florida. Um, We did that over like 19 days. There was over Mm -hmm. 54,000 volunteers that turned out over that period of time to package those boxes. But about three days in, uh, the the team had kind of pulled me aside and they let me know about this husband and wife that were there. And they had been um, evacuated from Puerto Rico because the wife had a, a medical issue, a medical emergency, and they'd been evacuated. So so because they were here, though, they felt like sort of this like helplessness that they wanted to help all their friends and family back home. And so um, they uh, they came out every day. Right. Wow. And they literally all 19 days where they're packaging boxes of, of food for people in Puerto Rico. And um, when I talked to Ernie, the husband, uh, uh, he just he looked at me, he said, you know what? He's like, you know, for as many days as it takes, he's like, we'll be here. He's like, we won't leave until the job is done. And like he was there and like people like that, like that spirit of just, you know, wanting to help their neighbors, right? Like, oh my gosh, like, so amazing. And, you know, what a better world we'd be if we were all like Ernie, right? And it keeps you motivated, I imagine. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it challenges me personally even, right? The other thing that's interesting, though, is feeding children everywhere is not that old. So, I mean, it started in Central Florida, and in a relatively short period of time, is that a huge impact? 
Yeah, um, and, and I think that um, trying to, as a nonprofit, like most nonprofits, just about every nonprofit, starts out with a very pure cause, right, mm-hmm. that they're trying to make a difference in. And um, what happens is, as you grow a little bit, I think that um, the tendency is like, you know, you have to have efficiency as like a business too, right? And I think that the risk is for nonprofits is they sort of lose sight a little bit of the cause that they really started out, you know, passionate about. And I would say the thing at Feeding Children Everywhere that I think has really led to the growth that we've had is just staying impact focused, right? Where we constantly remember to, um, you know, in our staff meetings and our everything that we do and we communicate and our philosophy of how we respond is just remembering that the people we serve are the reason that we're all here. And um, I think that's what's really driven us to kind of stay authentic to our original purpose and, and has caused a lot of that growth. So when it was recently announced that you were leaving Feeding Children Everywhere after being the CEO for four years. I think it was a surprise for a lot of people who didn't know you very well. Why are you leaving and what's next? Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was a really emotional decision for yeah. me too. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and you know, it, it, it's easy to hold on for too long. Right. Um, uh, you know, I think sports is probably the easiest analogy of, you know, we've all seen athletes before that had, you know, really good careers in a, in a specific sport. And they, when they stay that one extra year that they probably mm-hmm. should have like called it quits the year before, you know, things can kind of get dysfunctional. Like it's just not the same. And, you know, trying to have the awareness, awareness about myself of like with my skill set my personality like I think there's a window with something where like I'm at my best and then mm-hmm. beyond that I think there's people with other personality types that would do a better job mm-hmm. from there right and so for me at feeding children everywhere it was kind of that right of just this realization of like you know what we have made a huge impact and we've been able to build something really special and you know I'm more of that hair on fire visionary type right and <laughs> eventually that gets exhausting for yeah. people around me right and so um, I think like bringing somebody in that um, has some really good nonprofit experience nationally that um, can kind of take things to the next level like mm-hmm. that would be you know my my biggest dream to see the organization grow into even more and do even more in the future to make even more impact so that's what I'm that's what I'm really trying to help make happen in my transition here and then for me it gives me an opportunity to go pursue that next big idea right and I think that um, really that's it is the consumer you know people just need there's so many people people want to do good in the world right mm-hmm. and i feel like if we as a society if we do a better job and we create more tools that give people the opportunity to do good in the world people will just do it like mm-hmm. they will definitely do it don't you feel like the challenge though can be reaching people i mean i totally agree that people want to do good but if you create a set of tools on how you can do it sometimes it's hard to get that message across oh yeah that's that's definitely that's where the magic is at right uh-huh. so um and thankfully uh in the digital age right that um, that certainly helps to amplify our messages, right? And to get stories out and um, to be able to, to find people who have an affinity for certain things, right? There's a lot of that work, thankfully, is already done online, right? And so, um, you know, one of the things I will say, there was just the story when I made the announcement even about the transition, uh, it was really encouraging. I had people reaching out from all over the world, literally all over the world, reaching out, um, scientists and, and professors and PhDs uh, and 
just, you know, people passionate about sustainability and, and eliminating food waste from all over the world, encouraging me to kind of like, this is it. We need this. Please mm-hmm. keep going. Right. And so that, that definitely yeah, helped. Just my. so we're clear for our listeners, you're, you're going from feeding children everywhere, which yeah. is pretty self-explanatory mm-hmm. to now trying to prevent food waste because right. we do waste. I think it's 40% of our food ends up in the landfill mm-hmm. and you have seen firsthand the impact that all of that food could have on people. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I've seen the wins and the losses of food waste too, right, along this journey where we'll meet with a food manufacturer who has, you know, eight truckloads of food in their warehouses and they decide to donate it to us, but it's been sitting there for so long that five truckloads just have to get thrown in the trash, right? Mm-hmm. Because they, mm-hmm. they're just bad, right? It's not it's not something that you can serve at that point just because of supply chain issues and it sat on a warehouse, you know, warehouse shelf. And the only reason why they finally got rid of it is because they needed more space for other stuff, right? And um, there's so many times like that, whether it's, you know, unfortunately, you know, food that's produced at farms, it's sort of unpredictable, right? When mm-hmm. you think of, if you have a factory that is producing, you know, foam cases let's say if you decide to make a million you know you fire up the factory machines and you make a million cases um, you know if you're growing beans that doesn't work the same way right so if you have a customer that commits to buying a certain amount of pounds of beans you can't grow the exact amount of pounds of beans right otherwise what happens if there's not enough rain or not enough sun or it's a little bit light of a growing season it means you're going to fail your customer right and you might lose that customer so farms have to overproduce the amount of food that they really need and um, then what happens with that right what happens with that overproduction and um, there just needs to be more efficient tools to help connect the the food that's available whether it's in a grocery store or from a restaurant or consumer packaged goods companies farms to be able to connect that food with the people so, who need it so uh, i'm sorry to interrupt yeah. uh so you you've talked about an app that would be but a, a tool essentially to like alert people to these surpluses or the availability of food that might go to waste otherwise. So how you would talk about supply chain issues. I, I know obviously you don't have your final project yet, but what's, what's the vision? How do you uh, connect everyone with these people and how do you make it accessible? Yeah. Is there, is there a, a sort of a flow chart or a thought process right. on how that's going to yeah. happen? Or is that just what, right. the, or do you just have the big picture at this point? Well, there's, there's five key areas of food waste, right? So you mm-hmm. have the farm level, you have the consumer packaged goods level, you have the grocery store, the restaurant, and then what happens in our homes, right? So I have a two-year-old and a six-year-old, and uh, it's always, you know, a guess of you, you put the, the chicken nuggets on the table, and you're not sure if they're going to eat one or five or <laughs> if the dog's going to end up eating them because they throw them <laughs> in the dog, to the dog, right? You know, you're not really sure, right? And so, um, you know, consumer food waste even is a thing to consider, right? But um, starting with the food waste that happens at the grocery store level is really where I'm going to begin. And, um, you know, it's, it's it's the most actionable for the consumer because if you shop at a grocery store, then you're already there. You're already going to spend money on food. And so um, by using data and technology to help the consumer be more aware of the Mm -hmm. foods that they should buy while they're in the store to help reduce food waste, right? So what if you just knew like, all right, well, I know I'm going to buy this certain type of vegetable or some type of vegetable for this salad that I'm making. If you could have really at your fingertips information that would say, hey, you're helping eliminate food from yeah. landfills and mm-hmm. reducing you know the effects of climate change if you buy these avocados right now you know i think people just having that information like people would want to like they would want to do good in the world and the avocados are still great right now mm-hmm. you're gonna have the salad yeah. tonight so it'll work yeah yeah. And so is is that is some of that also working with grocery stores as well because some of their practices are not 
the best for sustaining their their produce and, and things of that nature yeah. and keeping them fresh on the shelves. It's sometimes more about like presentation right. than right. Yeah. actually What is the it? reception? Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of customers will go in and we see that all the time with produce, especially if something doesn't look absolutely pristine, right. it ends up in the trash, yep. you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and that is so true. And I think, you know, long-term adjustments in consumer behavior will definitely be a part of this. Um, and there, you know, there already, actually there was just a huge announcement. There's a, a company that does, you know, doorstep delivery basically of, um, of produce, right? Mm-hmm. And it's specifically it's produce that's the odd shaped and, you know, maybe, maybe a little blemished or whatever it may be, but you can do a subscription service and have it delivered right to your front door. And I'd say millennials again are a uh-huh. big, a big piece of you know is there a cost savings associated with that because i feel like that's going to be the key to getting people to buy into it yeah um definitely um like the 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 door delivery of that produce i mean there's a social impact Uh and it is below market rates on the produce and so that's pretty helpful uh but you know when you think of the consumer packaged goods items it's not necessarily that there's anything wrong with it right so there may still be two weeks left on a product that, that is on the store shelf and unfortunately what happens in the grocery stores is there's there's kind of a ticking clock on that if it doesn't mm-hmm. come off the shelf. And um, before the product actually reaches the expiration, most grocery stores actually take that product off of the shelves. And then a large percentage of that ends up going into landfills because, um, you know, when you think of the food banks, they only have so many trucks and they can only pick mm-hmm. up from so many grocery stores in one day. And um, it's just not logistically possible to pick up all of the food from all of the grocery stores in all of Florida in a day, right? It's just mm-hmm. not possible. And so uh, what happens is it sits there for a period of time. Eventually, maybe the food bank comes and gets it. By the time it gets to the food bank, they've just got to throw it in the trash. Is there a liability factor in that, too? I've heard in the past that some businesses are reluctant to maybe donate because there could be something wrong with the food. Yeah. So um, on donated food, there's actually a federal law that protects companies from being sued from donating food. Kind of the, you know, the asterisk there is that it has to be reasonable, right? Mm-hmm. So if they saw something that they were like, I'm pretty sure that's spoiled, you know, like, or they didn't do something <laughs> That's been on the shelf for 30 years. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Like, then, then they could still be liable, right? Uh-huh. But um, if it's just food on a shelf that is nearing expiration or just past a best buy date, right? Uh-huh. But it doesn't mean that there's something wrong, wrong from a food safety standpoint by all means they're they're protected by the law so this new suite of tools that you are working to develop right now um i imagine you have a team of people that you're working with and investors yeah um is it are you primarily focused on the consumer the individual or are you trying to also help with that chain with the farms and the manufacturers and the whole five levels so um without giving away too much uh it's definitely starting with the consumer Uh because um, I feel like too many times we we start with the idea of you know what's going to happen in the factory, but if the consumer hasn't already adopted that or isn't ready to do that, then that's a lot of wasted time and energy mm-hmm. and resources. But um, you know when you get the consumer to participate, when people are participating, and you know you're sort of building this the way that people want it built, uh, then you go back to the farms and now you have this powerful tool, right, that you can deploy uh, through farms, that you can deploy through grocery stores, through restaurants, that just a, a passionate, you know, group of people all across the United States that want to reduce the effects of climate change, that want to reduce food waste and want to see more people with the food they need for their bellies. With healthier food. Yeah. Yeah. 
So you've got six months left or so with feeding children everywhere before you're officially on this new venture full time. Is there any more room for innovation with feeding children everywhere in that time, or are you just sort of trying to stay the course until they find a replacement, or what's it's, what's your plan? You know, it's a little bit of both. It's some balance for me, right? So definitely staying the course, um, but at the same time, because we have some really great things in motion, there's a lot of momentum. Uh, you know, there are still some opportunities within kind of the existing framework that we have, and so um, definitely I'd like to get all those to like the best point possible so that when we do bring it on, bring on a new CEO that we were turning things over in a really great spot with a lot of momentum. So yeah, there's, um, there's still a lot more work to be done even in the next four to six months. Yeah. How do you juggle doing all this? I mean, you're full-time CEO developing this new suite of tools to try and reduce food waste, married with two young kids. Yeah. How do you juggle it all? Um, you know, I, I think uh, maybe it's the ADHD has a lot of uh, <laughs> maybe negative side effects, but I think there's some good ones too, right? And um, you know, I think I'm able to move between things pretty quickly, and um, and it, it's all things that I'm passionate about, right? And so, um, you know, it never feels like work for me, right? Like uh-huh. whether it's at 5 a.m. when I'm finished meditating and I'm thinking about you know the next ideas for feeding children everywhere, or if it's you know 11 o'clock at night and I'm having an idea about food waste. Right? that I think it's all just a lifestyle and when you live a certain lifestyle then you know it's just who you are and so it doesn't feel like work and it's all just part of the same thing do you ever get discouraged oh my gosh yeah like um I fail constantly right and so um and it's funny because I I talk to a lot of people about failure and I often hear my own words right when I'm discouraged and I'm like I'm like why did I have to go tell everybody like fail and fail again and fail again I'm like here I am failing again right listening to my own words right but um you know and I do get discouraged sometimes right but um I try to really quickly I've tried to develop a habit of when I do feel discouraged of just like owning that real quick and then moving on uh, because I realize like these little discouragements that we have throughout our day that you know there it's kind of like picking up this cup right here right? Uh-huh. that's not hard to pick up but if you keep picking up more and more cups all day long there's little discouragements and then you're trying to walk around with a hundred cups in your arms that's impossible right it gets too heavy to carry yeah I mean especially I think for someone like you who has such a great vision and then when you try to sell that vision to other people who you might need their help to make it all happen and they might not be on board with you yeah. Uh, that's got to be hard. Yeah. And I think in the early days, like I would get mad, right? I would be like, I can't believe, like I told him, like, we were going to change the world. Like, how did, <laughs> why didn't they get excited? Who doesn't like, want to yeah, change right? the world? Come on. And so, uh, but over time, what I realized was that like, everybody has their own causes that they're passionate about. Right. And for some people it's, you know, trying to eliminate food waste for others. It's trying to end childhood hunger. Uh, but there's a lot of causes that really need attention from people. Right. And, uh, whether that's causes around animals or, uh, or political or, you know, socioeconomic, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the thing that I've realized is, you know, don't get my feelings hurt if somebody's not as passionate as I am about something, but because uh, it just means that they have their own causes that they're interested in. So do you have a time frame for when you plan on rolling out this new technology that people can uh, act? 
access yeah. in some way? Yeah. So um, the big thing right now is I definitely don't want it to become a distraction. I want to mm-hmm. finish strong and mm-hmm. feeding children everywhere. And so mm-hmm. um, I'm getting ready to celebrate my 10 year uh, anniversary with my wife. And so uh, we're actually taking a little trip for a few weeks and bringing the girls with us. And so, you know, when I get back, I think we'll be at the point where we're starting to get some candidates for the new CEO at Feeding Children Everywhere. And once we get a little bit closer to that, then I'll yeah. go ahead and pick a, a rollout date for, for the new app and the new company. But, um, you know, trying to stay focused as close to 100% as I can for now on Feeding Children Everywhere. And is your goal to start with the new app and the new rollout locally, try and implement something here in Central Florida and then roll it out nationwide? Uh, it'll start nationwide. Okay. Yeah, it'll start nationwide. And, you know, and there'll be a beta, right? There'll be a mm-hmm. version of it. It's the beta. And um, basically because you want people to be able to sort of break it all over the country where certain things in Central Florida, it may work perfect for. And then we find out that there's grocery store chains, let's say in Wyoming, where they're set up a certain way and the app doesn't work the right way there, right? Because mm-hmm. of it. And so, um, you know, rolling it out nationally, giving people a chance to test it and break it and refine it. And then with people's feedback, then, you know, kind of keep retooling the app until it's dialed in uh, right, you know, exactly the way people want it nationwide. And uh, with a nationwide focus, you know, it's all about reducing pounds of food waste, right? And so with a nationwide focus, that's where we'll be able to have the biggest impact. And then, you know, hopefully then eventually, I think there's plenty of other countries that we could roll the app out in and make an impact there as well. So where do you hope to see yourself in 10 years? Oh, man. Uh, 10 years from now. Wow. Ask me about 10 days, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) um, 10 months. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, wow, I feel so I feel so blessed and fortunate um, just to still be, you know, around in 10 years and Uh addressing social issues and trying to make impact. And gosh, I think in my girls, right, my girls would be. 12 and 16 then right so i'll probably so panicking my, yeah my hair will all be, it'll all be white then i think by then for sure it'll be totally white um and so if i still have hair left by then so uh but yeah i mean honestly i i don't see myself doing anything that's not impact related uh in my life i mean i'm i'm definitely um no matter how many companies i have the opportunity to start or grow or build or sell um i'll, I'll stay impact focused on what i'm doing and where can people follow along with you and, and stay on top of what you're doing and, and watch for that beta and that roll yeah. out and everything. Um, so I have a, a website that somebody created for me that uh, is very helpful. And uh, it's just davegreenactivist.com. And, um, you know, through that website, people can stay connected on, uh, and, you know, we'll post a link to this uh, on there as well. But um, people can stay connected to kind of the things that I'm working on. And then, of course, all the normal social media channels, you know, Instagram and, and whatnot. I'm usually pretty active on Instagram, but yeah. You mentioned a lot about, you know, your childhood growing up, fears, uh, confronting those fears and this whole illusion of security. I feel like that's something that so many people can relate to. And I imagine in your experience, you've encountered a lot of people who've had similar childhoods and maybe that's why they're now volunteering. Um, What do you try and tell people when they think, oh, there's no way I could ever do something like what you're doing because... I've got a wife with two kids and this stable job. What do you say to those people? Yeah. Um, well, there was something, there was a saying on the Pacific Crest Trail, actually, that um, everybody hikes their own mountain. And really what that means is like, you know, for me, I had this specific journey, right? So I, for me, it was feeding children everywhere and fighting hunger and um, going down this pathway that I'm on. But for somebody else who they, they have a job in accounting and they can't leave their job and they are at a certain point in their family life where they need some more stability, um, they still 
still have their own mountain too, right? And so they just have to find within the framework of, of their current context of their life, what's their mountain that they can go climb, right? What's their path to go make the world a better place or make impact? Um, some people do it with their giving, right? I mean, today's Giving Tuesday. Some people just don't have quite the same amount of time, but they have the heart to help. And so they have causes they're passionate about and they give on days like Giving Tuesday, right? And, um, you know, for others, it is making the time to volunteer or getting their kids involved in volunteerism and teaching their kids about those causes, right? But um, everybody's got their own mountain to hike. And meditating every morning helps maintain that clarity. Yeah, for me, um, that morning meditation is really critical. So um, I I don't sleep much. And so (laughs) it helps to be able to do that. But um, usually, you know, at least an hour a day, sometimes a couple hours a day. But um, that's a really important start to my day. Well, Dave Green, thank you so much. We wish you the very best in your future endeavors. Please come back when uh, you've rolled it out nationwide. And uh, we'd love to hear more about it. I look forward to it. Thank you. Thank Thank you very much. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for listening to Florida Foodie. We'd also like to thank our guest, Dave Green, from Feeding Children Everywhere. You can learn more about that organization at feedingchildreneverywhere.com. You can also follow Dave Green on his website, davegreenactivist.com and on Twitter and Instagram. Be sure to follow Lisa Bell as well. Search Lisa Bell News on Facebook and Instagram or Lisa Bell News 6 on Twitter. You can also find her children's books online, normangnomebooks.com and by searching Norman Gnome Books on Facebook and Instagram. A big thank you to our technical producers, Derek Mosier and Ryan Hawley. I'm the show's producer, Thomas Mates. Florida Foodie is available to download wherever you get your podcasts. Please take the time to rate and review us as well. And you can find videos of all of our podcasts on clickorlando.com slash podcasts.